You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. And you're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's your host, Brett McMillan. Hello and welcome. It's a bonus edition of the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Just had Tom and Matt Pagnazzi on our June 30th episode. Today, it's a flashback Friday with the television voice of the Cardinals, Dan McLaughlin. My name is Brett McMillan. Welcome in. Glad to have you. Dan has been on the podcast before. In fact, back in 2018, he became one of our most downloaded episodes ever. Today, coming to us in a little bit different format as part of a flashback Friday with team historian Brian Finch. Dan going to talk through his road to the big leagues. I don't remember if he touches on it in this conversation, but he actually was offered the Cardinals television play-by-play job at first and turned it down, believe it or not. Didn't feel like he was ready, but came back around, took the job, and boy, are we all so glad because he is, uh, I dare to say it, I think the best uh, local television voice in baseball right now. Just never misses a moment. Works with multiple analysts. He's going to talk about that. There are so many wonderful analysts that sit in the booth with him. Cardinals alumni varying in different perspectives. But that is tough from a play-by-play guy's perspective to have a different partner almost every series. It's like uh, being a point guard and knowing the, the skills and abilities and strengths of different players on the floor when Brad Thompson or Jim Edmonds or Tim McCarver, when when he would sit in the seat, uh, you know, knowing the strengths of those guys or knowing that the stories that they're going to have to tell or what they might be looking at on the field, there's subtle variance. And Dan is, again, probably the best going at knowing how to work specifically with each of those guys and really bring a great broadcast to you. So he's going to talk about working with those multiple analysts and he's going to talk about scripting big moments or, or actually really for Dan, not scripting the big moment and letting it happen naturally. He walks through that process. So if you are an aspiring broadcaster, this is a clinic for you. I mean, take notes. This is great stuff coming from Dan McLaughlin. Or if you're just a Cardinals fan, it's a great window into a great personality within Cardinals Nation that you're very familiar with, of course, from his multiple endeavors over on the, the local talk radio here in St. Louis, on his podcast, Scoops with Danny Mac, and also, of course, on Valley Sports Midwest. Before we get to the interview, want to let you know that on Friday, July 16th, you can add to your bobblehead and your gnome collection. Yes, it's a very special, one-of-a-kind item. That day, 30,000 fans, 16 and older, going home with an exclusive Willie McGee bobblehead gnome, thanks to AAA Insurance. Get your tickets today at cardinals.com slash promotions. Alrighty, here it is, Danny Mack, the one, the only, part of a Flashback Friday on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. What a great day. It is a joy to be back for programming here in person. Um, it's been a long time coming, almost two years now. So, This is awesome. Uh, this is my favorite part of my job. I've been doing Cardinal baseball for well over two decades on the television side. And uh, for fans who don't know, I, I do a lot of the emceeing of the events and some of these events. So it's been a long time, and this is my first event. Uh, back at the ballpark with people here 
and no masks and able to congregate and a sense of normalcy. So believe me, I am so excited to be here, not just to talk Cardinal baseball, but to see fans. Uh, we have missed you guys. I cannot tell you how much we have missed the fans. And I know that you hear us talk about it on the games, but I am telling you from the players to the manager, to the coaches, to guys like me, broadcasters, we have missed the fans desperately. It's a fans game. Never forget that. This game is about the fans. Uh, but, man, have we missed them. And it's been um, it's been a long time coming. It really it, has. It sure has. Well, let's dive in here. It is a privilege uh, to welcome a man and a voice who, in my opinion, and I am the team historian, so that has a little bit, a little bit of weight behind it. But I forgot my wallet. I will pay you later for this. That's okay. Uh, but I'm serious about this. You are becoming a living legend here in St. Louis. You, this man here, has called more games on TV for the St. Louis Cardinals than anyone else in history. Just think about that for a second. There's no descriptors, no disclaimers. Dan McLaughlin has called more Cardinals games on television than any other person who's walked the face of the earth. That's unbelievable. Okay. Thank you. Put your hands together. Let's welcome our TV voice of the Cardinals, Dan McLaughlin. That that blows me away. Um, And I'll tell you why. You know, where we're sitting here today, I I grew up in the city limits of St. Louis, so we could come down to the ballpark literally in eight to ten minutes taking the back roads of the city, avoiding the highways. And uh, so I grew up in the city, and um, I grew up a Cardinal fan. I grew up playing the game of baseball. I grew up the biggest Cardinal fan you could possibly imagine. I know you all say you're the biggest Cardinal fan. No, you're not. I am. Um, This is my dream. I'm living my dream. I uh, I idolized Ozzie Smith, and now I get to call him a friend. I get to interview him. I get to play golf with him or see him. Jim Edmonds, those kind of guys. Uh, and when you say that, it, it I, I have goosebumps right now under my 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 jacket and on my legs. And um, I, I, it's hard to put into words, Brian, when you say that because. I, I love this organization. I mean, I truly, I'm almost getting teary-eyed thinking about it. I I love this place. I love what this franchise represents for the the history of it, the winning, obviously. But when I look out into the crowd, I see this gentleman here, that young lady. I see different generations of fans, and that's what I think about. And it makes me reflect of my, my childhood. And it makes me think of when I was a kid listening to Jack Buck on a radio at my grandmother's house or in my house uh, or on the car radio. And I never missed a game. I I was one of those kids that I kept score at home listening on the radio. And I used to keep a log of all the games. I kept a log in a notebook of the 1985 season that's in my mom's basement. I love this. I love this franchise. I, I I just love Cardinal baseball. So I have goosebumps actually going up and down my cheeks right now. It means so much to me to be able to do these games. So I apologize that I'm the longest tenured guy and I bored you to death and put you to sleep every night. But uh, here I am. I'm very blessed, very lucky, and it's uh, it's been a wonderful ride. Well, right now we're going to turn the tables a little bit. You're normally the one asking the questions, yeah. so this makes me uncomfortable a little bit. But that's all right. That's good. 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 Well, that we'll have some fun with this. Right. But you, you just kind of had a great segue for me. I'd love to know. And, and as much as we've talked, and and I'm privileged to call you a friend. We have a great relationship. Uh, you're a great friend to the museum here. But let's get right down to the nitty gritty. Is there a point where you can look back in your life, and and say this is where it started? 
I'm a Cardinals fan because of that right there. Well, I, I've never been asked that question. I've, I've always been asked about when did you know you were going to be a broadcaster? And my brother is the one that answers it and says, yeah, I know. I, I can answer that for him. It was when he was four and we were in our backyard playing wiffle ball. We used to play wiffle ball every day. I would wear a wool baseball uniform every day. Uh, dirty, not dirty, uh, total scumbag. And um, I would announce the games in the backyard playing baseball or wiffle ball every day, sun up, sun down, literally. So that's when he said I became a broadcaster. When I became a baseball fan, and you have to remember, for especially our younger fans that are in here, games weren't on television. So I, I do remember at the Old Bush Stadium the first time I went through I, I don't remember what age I was, but at the old ballpark, you would walk through the tunnel to get to, like, the lower section, and we had nice seats. And walking through the darkness of that tunnel and then getting hit by the sunlight and smelling the hot dogs, all the kind of cliche things that you hear about, I remember that. Um, and it, now I'm going to fast forward this. So that was probably the first time. I don't remember what age I was. I was probably six or seven, if I had to guess. But I fast forward to opening day this year. And we were calling the home games last year during COVID um, at the ballpark. Road games were doing from a studio. And when we arrived, I was doing a radio show here in town on opening day of the 2021 20, season this year. And I got here at about 6.30 in the morning. And I got hit with the waff and the scent of hot dogs. And I was like, we're back. This is baseball. And it made me think of, like, my childhood a little bit. And I, I get goosebumps again. And I was thinking, this is what it's supposed to be like. It's not only about what happens on that field. And what's going on right now is very tough as a fan. I get it because it's, it's not great. But it's still baseball. And I, I, I still love it, no matter how good or bad the team is going. And we've had a lot of good normally over the last 25 years. But that's when I first became a fan. Back to your original point was the smells, the even though it was AstroTurf, but just the brightness of it and just how big it was. Like, I couldn't believe how big it was as a little kid. And that moment, man, I was – I was hooked. And I played the sport. I played Little League. I played high school. Uh, I sent myself to college on a baseball scholarship. So that's how I was able to go to school to learn to what I do now. And so I owe everything to that stupid little ball right there. It's given me my livelihood. And thank God I, I love the sport because it's given me everything in my life. Let's talk a little bit about your playing career, which I'm sure you There wasn't much of it. I can tell you that. I, I That's knew, why I'm doing this. I knew this. that was coming. I knew it was something that was coming right back. But um, what's fascinating is in the broadcast booth, uh, and we've got some great artifacts out that we've um, had a nice presentation earlier tonight, but uh, just for our listeners at home when we have this on the podcast, uh, we've got a Rick Ankiel bat, one of uh, Jim Edmonds' gold gloves, We've got team sign balls from one of Brad Thompson's teams and then one of Rick Horton's teams. So uh, some nice items from the yeah. broadcast. And that's this year. You've had other broadcasters sure. in the booth with you as well. And then, of course, we've got – I've worked with everybody. Uh, you know that. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but um, we always look at them because they've made it to the majors. Mm -hmm. And that's not to – you give the appropriate you know uh, amount of respect. They, they made it to the highest level. Yeah. But you had a nice career as well. You made it to the collegiate level. Um, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. I know you always, you know, say, nah, I didn't make it that far. 
I want to know a little bit more about your baseball career. What position did you play? Uh, you just said you put yourself through college playing baseball. Let's, let's hear a little bit about this. So uh, my high school team was actually very good. We were ranked number one in state at one point. Every position player had a college scholarship. Uh, two guys went on and got drafted. One made it to the major leagues and won the World Series with the 05 White Sox. He's one of my best friends in the world, Cliff Polite who was an amazing athlete that many people don't know. He was, he was a great athlete in various sports. And his dad actually was a Cardinal farmhand. I don't know if you knew that, and was ambidextrous and used to throw batting practice to us right-handed and left-handed. So that's how I was get, growing up. I was introduced to a guy that played pro ball and was really instrumental in helping me. Um, so I played everywhere. I played catcher. I played third. I played short. Uh, as a young kid, I pitched too much and actually blew out my arm. And so then I had to reteach myself to throw differently. Um, and I was not a good hitter in high school, but I was a very good defender. And when I got into college, I, I could flat out hit. I could hit very well. And that's what got me into uh, going beyond. And I could have done some different things. But at that point in my life uh, and what was happening in my personal life and things of that nature, this is what I wanted to do. And I always told people, I never wanted to be the next Ozzie Smith, not that I would have been, but my point is I never wanted to be a major league player. I wanted to be the next Jack Buck, and I'm never going to be the next Jack Buck, but my point was I wanted to be a major league broadcaster. I wanted to be a major league announcer, and this was where my passion was, was announcing. I love it. I, I just love being behind a microphone and describing the action and describing the game. And so when you play at a level that is pretty good, I mean, when I'm, I'm just talking about guys that played high-level minor leagues, major league baseball. I, I, the funny story was, too, by the way, this is when I officially said I'm, I, I went back to the dugout. I was playing in a collegiate league in summer. Guys throwing about mid-90s, and he was, he was playing in the Cape Cod League, and he played at a high Division one level, and he needed innings. He was coming back to see his mom and dad in St. Louis, and I went up there, and he was nasty. And I said, boys, this is the official end of what was a really bad to mediocrely bad career. I said, that officially did it, that at bat. I'm done like that. I said, I have no chance at that guy. He was awesome. But it made me realize also at that time, like a light went on, which I already knew I, wasn't, I didn't want to play beyond it, but it made me realize how good these guys really are. And these guys are so good. They're incredibly good, and I always say it. They are the .9999% of the world that get to do this, and everybody wants to do it, but they can't. So my playing career was fun. I draw on the experiences of it. I love the experience of the things that happen outside the game, the bus rides and the camaraderie and the fun that you have with guys that you hear about with major league players. But the, the, the thing that I draw on it the most was that it put me through school. And I got a scholarship out of it. And growing up, we didn't have a ton of money. And it got me an education. And that's what I used it for. So how did you transition from your baseball career as a player into the broadcast booth? Because obviously, broadcasters, you don't just say, hey, I've got a voice for this. I've got a passion for this. Broadcasters and a lot of employees in baseball have to come up through the ranks in the minor leagues to get to the major league level. Um, outsiders don't understand that. You, you typically just don't get hired by a major league club no. to start working in St. Louis for the Cardinals. There are employees that have to work their way through the minors as well. How did you transition to the broadcast booth? Uh, a lot of luck. I, I will say that. I had a lot of luck, but I'd, I'd like to think I created my luck too. So 
I always looked at it this way. So when I was 18, like I said, I wanted to do this. I'm, I'm a freshman in college, and when my buddies were out partying and doing that kind of stuff and people were doing what a lot of college kids do, and that's fine. That's part of living, and that's part of figuring out who you are. Uh, I was going to call high school volleyball, high school basketball, high school wrestling. Uh, I did softball. I did baseball. You had a game, and you were willing to, to get me behind a mic. I was willing to call it, and I was calling it all over the place in all outstretches of Missouri. And so many times I would go call a game on a Friday night. I would sleep in my car, and I would be in that station, wherever it was, in the middle of Missouri, and wake up the next day and for free do the high school wrap-up. And then I would go. I got hired at KMOX to be the uh, Mr. Tinker producer or Mr. Garden producer. Hello, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Bonterre. Okay, what's your name? Lucy? Lucy, please hold on the line. Great. Hold, you know, and I, I would do a 12-hour shift. I'd do that Saturday, and then I'd do it Sunday, and I was going to school full-time, and I'm playing baseball. So I, I, was, I was fully invested in trying to make this thing go. So I, I was doing a lot, a lot of work in radio. But all that time, I was always practicing, 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 and doing games. And so when I was at KMOX, I hope this, guy, this doesn't bore you guys, but I was setting up a remote uh, for Ken Wilson and Joe Micheletti, who at that time were the Blues announcers, and they were at the now Enterprise Center. There was a protest or, of some sort going on, and I always used to carry a recorder and a microphone. Always had it with me 24-7. I went and recorded this stuff. I sent it down the line, and I said, here's your story at 5 o'clock for KMOX. Here's your lead story. And it, it got some attention. Like, the people at KMOX are like, who is this guy? You know, he's sending down this story, and one thing led to another, and this is about the timing part of it, where they needed people to read weekend sports. And they said, we're going to put you on the air. I was 20 years old. I was the youngest in the history of the station to get on the air. So that led to me kind of getting in there, and I created then doing Blues Intermission, something they had never done. So I started doing that. Somebody then at the TV station, Fox, there was the explosion of cable television. So right place at right time, not like how we have it now. Um, they needed, there was a, a show going on, and they said, hey, can you do, uh, they said, you need to meet this guy, Tom McLaughlin, different spelling, no relation. I walk into his uh, office. He looks at me, and he says, you got to be bleeping me. He said, you're Dan McLaughlin. I said, yes, sir. He said, I thought you were a 45-year-old man. I listen to you on the radio. you got to be kidding me. I said, no, this is, and I'm giving you the short version of it. And he said, you got five features to show what you can do. And he wrote down a couple of names of a, a camera guy and an and a editor, and he threw the card, and he said, get the hell out of my office. I said, okay, well, I'll give it a shot. And I'd never really done TV. And the first feature I did was on Jack Buck because I had hosted features with Jack, and I knew he'd give me great stuff. It's Jack Buck. <laughs> so that feature got, it was great. It got nominated for an Emmy. And the, uh, the producer I worked with, or the editor, was unbelievable, highly talented, right place, right time, a little bit of luck. And then they said, hey, can you intro these things live on the air? Well, of course I can. Never did it in my life, but of course I can. So... First time I go on the pregame show, they're counting me down in my ear. Had never heard a guy saying five, four, three, and you got to hit your mark, lead into the feature. Then they come on, you talk about it, and they say, you know, what are we having this guy? So the next year, Fox Sports said, hey, we're going to be um, doing pregames with these games, with the Cardinal games, and we want you to do the Cardinal games. And I said, I I'm, not, I'm not ready for it. 
and uh, I said, I'm turning down the job. I don't, I don't, I've never told you this. I said, I'm, I'm not ready for it. I, I, I think you're making a mistake. I, I'm inexperienced. I'm not ready for it. That's an animal of a job. I, there's no way. About what year was this, just so we're uh, That was 1997. Okay. Um, Thank you. And uh, – they said, you know, you, you they basically the guy said, you are going to do this job and we are going to grow with you. We understand you're young at the time, 23, and you're going to do it. And there's no questions asked and you're going to do it. And that's how it all began. At that point, did you believe that this was a viable career or did you feel like you were holding oh, no, on? I thought I'd be fired in a year, like job to job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. OK. Oh, no, I thought I'd be fired. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is the St. Louis Cardinals, man. You know, I'm 23 years old. Well, I'm, obviously, you mentioned the Blues, too, but it's almost yeah. like contract to contract, bouncing between. Yeah, I, I didn't know where it was going to go. And I, I did have a feeling that, like, the cable television aspect and games going on TV would be readily available at the fingertips for the viewer. I knew that's where this was going. Um, and sure enough, that's where it's gone. But... In terms of my performance and where I was, I was like, man, I, I just kind of hope they grow with me because I'm really nervous. I know I can do it. Deep down, I knew I could do it, and I, I had the ability, but I had to let myself grow into the job, and it took a long time, and now I, I, I'm fully vested and confident and have no problems in it, but it took, it took a good five years to feel comfortable enough that I, I belong. I mean, I, I'd get on the planes, and I'd sometimes be the youngest guy. So you talked about doing pregame, postgame work, stuff like that. About how long did it take for you to get on the broadcast as play-by-play man? So that took a, a year. So 97, okay. I'm doing the, the, the pre and the post. and No, I'm sorry, 98 pre and post. Yep. And 99, I'm doing play-by-play. All right. Yeah. In 1999, all right, for Cardinals fans here, our audience here, who made the biggest impression? I'm going to ask a, a few questions about that first year just looking back mm-hmm. who made the biggest impression on you behind the scenes Tony La Russa. uh I, I'm so thankful that I got to work with Tony and I I would like to think that the fan base by the end of Tony's tenure here got a really good glimpse into who he is and who he was um, because it was rough on Tony when he first got here in 96 I mean he wasn't whitey there was a the transition from the Aussie era into Tony's era. They win in 96, but they didn't get all the way. And then there were some rough years. 97 was not a good year. He had a couple years, a couple months of McGuire. 98 was all McGuire. 99 was not a good team. They had McGuire. He had 65. But then it was kind of like, all right, what else? Right? right? And, and then in 2000, they start to win. But I, he would allow me, and this is unbelievable to me, as a young guy, he would let me come in, and he would say to the clubhouse attendant, and we'd be on the road, the guy that's, that, that is at the door that allows the players to come in and nobody else, he would say, hey, if this young guy shows up, his name's Dan, you let him in. And Tony would let me sit in his office at 1 o'clock in the afternoon until 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock at night, up to first pitch. It didn't matter. I could sit in there and watch him make his lineup card and ask him anything I wanted. I had an open book to Tony LaRusso on anything I wanted. Why did you make that move last night? What do you think about that lefty? Why are you putting this guy in the three hole? What do you, what do you think? About, and, every, you know, it was an off-the-record conversation, but he would say, well, this is what I'm doing, and this is why you do this, because I'm also thinking about last night, but i got to think about tonight, and here's what I'm thinking tomorrow. 
I mean, it was amazing and how much baseball knowledge he would give you and did it with an open book for me. And so he was one that was great. Mark McGuire was amazing to me. When everybody was trying to tug at that guy, for whatever reason, he was amazing to me. Um, I would say that was a guy that came uh, across as very helpful. Al, off the, off the air, was great to me um, in terms of... Al Herboski. Yeah, Al Herboski, my partner, was, was very helpful in just... You know, little things. When you're when you're traveling, you're, you're trying to figure out, like, where do you go in a city? I never traveled in my life. I hadn't seen the ocean until I was 18 years old. So, And that was on a baseball trip in college. So just little things like that of just trying to get along and, and figure things out. Those are the kind of people that I'm, I'm very thankful for that first year. What's the most memorable game from your first year calling the Cardinals? The first game. Um, first game, we're in Pittsburgh. And, well, there's two games. The very first game we did was uh, <laughs> I flew from a playoff game in Vancouver across country to go do, and that was with the Blues, and I fly across country, and I mean, I'm so nervous. You, you couldn't believe it. Joe Buck is down there, and they say, hey, we want you, Joe, and Al to be on a couple innings together, kind of intro you to the baseball crowd. I said, great. Okay, sounds good. I've known Joe. It'll be fun. So Joe knows I'm really nervous. A.J. Burnett, you guys remember A.J. Burnett? He's on the mound. He had a uh, liking for uh, piercings, and so he to lighten me up because he knew I was nervous. He says something like, "Hey Dan, uh, you ever had your nipple pierced?" <laughs> and I said, uh, "No, Joe, I haven't." He goes, well, "AJ Burnett has his nipples pierced today," and I, I just thought you you would find that interesting. And I said, "Yeah, that's that's really interesting." Hey Al, you ever had your? No, I haven't. Well, you know, nipple piercings are something that's the rage right now, and. You know, so it just kind of just to lighten things up. So that was something that I remember, just that first game. And then the first game I got uh, the third base coach and the, the manager mixed up for some reason because my head was spinning and things were going really fast when you're nervous. And uh, I remember I had to – it's the only time I've ever done this. I had to step out of the booth during a half inning. The, the, the inning ended, and I started getting tongue-tied, and I never get like that, and things were going really fast. And I went out, and I put my head up against the wall, and I just took a deep breath, and I said, you can do this. Just collect yourself. It, things are going to be all right. And I think, like, the next inning, McGuire hit a home run, called it okay, and things were all right. But, yeah, that's what I remember. Love it. Love it. Let's talk a little bit about this year's broadcast partners. Yeah. I'm going to play a little game with you. All right. I'll give you some time. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> Remember, we're going to appreciate this, if I rip them. It's all good. We're going to make this a podcast, but then we'll, we'll dig a little bit deeper. So uh, we mentioned the four broadcast partners you've had so far, Ank, Edmonds, Thompson and Horton. So I'll mention one name. You respond with the first word that comes to mind. Word or, or description? Word, and then we'll get into description all right. a little bit. So, okay, let's go with uh, Rick Ankiel. It's got to be clean, right? Yes, clean. It's got to be clean. Family family crowd here. This all is right. family friendly. Rick Ankiel. Power. Okay. Yeah. Okay. First thing that comes to mind, power. Why is that? His arm and his bat. Okay, so on-field performance. Yeah, that's right. a first. And he's I, – when I see him, I see power. Okay. So I, I, I'm thinking more on-field with him. Um, I think he's one of the most fascinating sports stories in the history of sports. Uh, I know him very, very well. If you guys haven't read his book, I would highly advise it. And it's not only about his time in baseball, but it's an unbelievable book about just overcoming demons and that kind of thing. And his background, it was a very tough background growing up. 
great guy, amazing guy, has handled what happened to him with grace, dignity, and ultimately triumph. Um, so one of the most amazing stories I've ever seen in sports. And his home run at the ballpark across the street when he first came back is one of the great moments I've ever seen in sports. It was awesome. Yeah, power. Rick Horton. Hmm. <laughs> Cheesy. <laughs> no, I I think of him with that smile. I always tell him, like, are you cheesy? You know, no. Uh, no, Ricky is one of the nicest people I ever met. He is very, very bright, very smart. And the thing I love about Ricky is that the game has changed a ton, and it's changed a ton even in five years. Like five years, the game has changed more in five years than it probably has in the last 50. And I, I mean that sincerely. With the advent of analytics and how we talk about spin rate and launch angle and the things that drive me crazy sometimes, exit velocity, but it's here to stay, and it's part of the game. But yet, here's a guy that played in a great era of where a manager really took into account, and I'm not saying that managers don't do that today, so don't read me wrong, but the manager and his manager, Whitey Herzog, took, took into account, for example, you're going back home and you're going to play the Mets, and Ricky's from New York. He's going to find a way to get him in a game so he's playing in front of mom and dad. And, and then try to benefit his team from that. You know what I mean? Right. It's not just about what you see in the stats. But Ricky understands, though, analytics, but also understands the human side. Very, very bright at what he does. Brad Thompson. Hilarious. He is one of the funniest guys, self-deprecating. And I, I, always, I always say that with, with Brad, I, I always try to have to remind him of this. I said, you know, you are the analyst here. You're supposed to be the expert you moron. Um, you know, you're supposed to have more insight than anybody else that's watching the game. And you have a ring on your finger that shows that you pitched in or part of a World Series team. Yeah. You know, people forget, too, he has still to this day, and you, I bet you'll correct me here, but yeah. the modern-day minor league record for consecutive innings, scoreless. Scoreless. Right. Yes. He was really good. And if not for a few arm, arm injuries along the way, would have probably had a nice, long mm -hmm. major league career. But he was a good pitcher. And... I would have loved to have seen a guy like that and what he would do today with some of the hitters that are doing this with a guy that could do that with the ball, sink it. Um, but he was good, and he is just – I'm telling you, if you guys could hear some of the stuff that's off the air, as funny as you think he is on the air, the dude is hilarious. He's hilarious. That leaves Jim Edmonds. Savant. Uh, I, I say this all the time. Baseball, Savant. Uh, let's put the caveat there. Um, there are the guy and the guys I've covered, and they're all brilliant baseball people. Whoever you think is the worst baseball player you've watched, he's still better than everybody you can possibly think of. They're amazing. I mean, the the, the worst baseball player out there is still an amazing player. He is. He's in the big leagues. Um, but then you have the best of the best, and then you have people that become best of the best not only for their physical gifts, but because they think the game at a level that other people either can't get to or they see things that other players can't see. And um, Jim Edmonds, Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols, and Chris Carpenter are the four that I have covered that I've never seen in my time of covering baseball, which is now probably over a million innings and thousands of games or whatever it is. I've, I've never seen it anything like it and especially with Jimmy and he'd be at the top of my list he's number one and I'll give you a great example so there was a game that we were doing 
and Jimmy is unbelievable at picking up when a pitcher is going to throw curveball, changeup, fastball, whatever. And he can, he can just pick it up from his eyes, watching a pitcher and what he's doing. And so one day he says, he goes, he gets so frustrated up there, it's hilarious. He's like, I can't believe these guys can't see it. This is off the air. I can't believe they can't pick this up. What are they doing? And he slams his, his hand down. I said, what are you talking about? He says, hey, do this inning by yourself. I'm going to sit here, but I'm going to tell you our guys tipping and their guys tipping pitches. I'm going to tell you every pitch that's coming this next inning. I said, okay. I, and I, I get on the what we call the talk back to the truck. I said, hey, Jimmy's here, but I'm going to read some promos and just kind of do the game. So don't, don't engage him. Just I'll, I'll do it. So make a long story short, I would look at him. I'd say, here comes the 1-0 pitch. And I look at him, and he, which is a fastball. It would be a fastball. So we did this for something like 46 pitches. He got 45 of the 46 right before they came. He knew every pitch that was coming, every one. And the catch that, and, and now to, be, to make it even uh, another story about Jimmy, and he did this so many times. He is not the fastest guy, but he made all the catches, and he made them brilliantly. And in 2004 in Game 7, the Brad Osmus play, if you go back and look at a wide view, and I've talked to him about that play, so it's the ball in the gap, and really it saved the pennant for the Cardinals. Brad Osmus at the plate, Supan is on the mound. So he's paying attention. He knew the count. He knew, he's watching Yachty or whoever it was. I think it was Matheny at that time putting down the, 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 the pitch, uh, pitch selection. And Jimmy knew the type of hitter that Osmus was. He knew Soup was going to hit his spot. And he knew that Osmus probably was going to guess a little bit, open up, and pull it to left center. So as the pitch was coming, Jimmy took a chance and started running to the gap in left center before he hit it and then made the diving catch. That saved the pennant. That's a bright baseball player. Not many guys do that. And that's why I think he's a baseball savant. He's incredible. What a story. What a story. Unfair question. Hold on. Are you guys enjoying this? or Okay, good. All right. All right. Very good. I can shorten up the answers or whatever you want. Okay. No. Unfair questions for you. Of all the questions we've had, this may put you on the spot the most. Yeah. Your best call. Uh, I, I really, and it's more for a personal reason than anything. <clears throat> I, I do get asked this. I think it was the Matt Holiday home run in what I thought and – now, he screwed it up by playing the next day. Um, so what should have been his final at Right. But <laughs> right. I, I know I you're did, going here. I did say what could be his final plate appearance in right. St. Louis. Um, so he hits an opposite field home run. And it, to set this thing up, he was in the final year of his contract, and he hadn't, been, he hadn't played. And so the Cardinals were mathematically alive the final weekend of the, the season against the Pirates. And... The Cardinals were trying to find a way, somehow, some way, to get him in a game. So whether that be as a pinch runner or he goes out in left field and no one takes the field and he goes out there by himself and gets an ovation, um, whether it's a plate appearance, whatever. But they're trying to find a way to get him in. Now, he hasn't been – the minor leagues are shut down. So he hasn't had any plate appearances. He hasn't had any rehab. He hasn't had anything. Right. And – so some of us were privy to this, and I, I'm very close to Matt. I was just texting with him this morning. He's a great human being, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. But some of us were privy to uh, the fact that this was going to be it. The Cardinals held an option on his contract. They were not going to pick it up. So this was 
by all intents and purposes, he was done in St. Louis, barring a miracle, he was not going to come back. And so here comes his plate appearance, which on a Friday night, the place is packed in St. Louis. And the tough part about this is that you're mathematically alive. So you don't want to put him in a tight game because you're, you're really at a disadvantage as a team, too, because who knows how he's going to fare. He hadn't seen live pitching for three weeks, four weeks, whatever. He could strike out. You know, you're really at a disadvantage. So what what happens? He goes up there. He's got tears in his eyes, and you could see it. And now he's got two strikes on him, and he hits this opposite field home run. And all I said was, yes. I, I just it was like I, I couldn't control my emotions. And I said this is an emotional call for me because uh, I knew what he had done for this community. And I love this community. I'm from St. Louis, I mentioned, and I had done some work for a local hospital that he has done a ton of work for and started Homers for Health. And I'm here to tell you, and, and if he was up here, he would never say this, but there were countless times after games would he would stop into this hospital unannounced to go meet All kids the on the way home and just pop in and say, is anybody up? And he'd bring a jersey, he'd bring a ball, He'd bring a glove. He'd bring batting gloves. He'd bring cleats. He'd bring his pen to sign. Autograph. He did it all the time, just unannounced, and donated millions of dollars out of his own pocket and then helped raise millions of dollars. So he was fully invested in this community. And so when a guy does that and has that kind of moment, you can't beat it. And then he screwed the whole thing up and got a base hit the next day. <laughs> Is there a call you'd like to have back? You'd like to have it over again man when i hear some of the calls from my early days absolutely <laughs> <laughs> i i do a radio show here in town and we had ryan ludwig uh today and he uh it was funny uh it, we played a walk-off homer that he had and i introed ryan i said boy that was a young danny mack and a young ryan ludwig and he i said and it's a walk-off for ryan ludwig you know it, it, so some of those things going back to when you're confident as a young guy and you, you don't worry about it. Now I just let it rip. I, I just have fun. I never script a call. I haven't scripted one since I've been here, and I never will. Well, I, I wanted so. to ask about that. So the scorecard we have here, this is a, a replica of it. We don't normally handle museum mm -hmm. artifacts like this. And Dan has uh, artifacts in the museum. This is a really neat one for us. Uh, I'm going to let yeah. you hold this in case yeah, I you want to look at it. point anything out. So this is the scorecard, and it's on display over in the Bush 3 gallery. So as you work your way Wish all the way around. The, um I don't have your glasses. For I know. You. I'm I sorry, need my glasses. I'm getting So old. this is from the 10,000th National League win in Cardinals history. And we reached out to Dan, and I, I'm going to share a funny little story about yeah. you. So Dan's been fantastic for us, but I reached out to him and said, hey, we know this game's coming. Uh, it's going to happen. It was in 2018. Would you give us your scorecard as the official you know, broadcast voice of the Cardinals when it happens? Can we have it? And, and Dan, for all the wonderful things he's done for us, pushed back a little bit on me. And uh, I did. You did at first. You said, I, I don't know. And I said, wait, wait, hold on here. <laughs> like, why are you pushing back? And, and the reason why was you said, well, if you need to know, if you ever come back to this and wonder, you know, who's on third base in the fourth inning, you're not going to be able to figure it out because of the way I keep score. He has a very unique way that he keeps yeah. score. And I said, Dan. 
if I need to find out who was on third base in the fourth <laughs> inning, I'm going to go to the internet. Yeah. Uh, it's a baseball reference or something. And then it was like, oh, okay, no worries then. You know, yeah. you, can, you can have it. So there was this concern over archival purposes. But anyway, he graciously donated that to us. And one of the few times where we actually asked for um, the, the donor, Dan in this case, to autograph it. And he, Dan said, can I inscribe it for the 10,000th win? So normally we want it as it sort of comes off the field. But in this case, uh, Dan decorated it and put 10,000th Cardinals regular season win since 1892, and he, he signed it for us. Um, but in terms of when, when history, when we know it's going to happen, yeah. Yachty's 2,000th hit, mm-hmm. um, you know, Wayno's had some milestones, you know, sure. franchise history, number two in strikeouts, things like that. You kind of mentioned that you don't script a call, but do you think about these things when they're coming up? Sure. I, I try not to miss it. Like, for instance, Yachty has been stuck since last Sunday, and I, I really think this is a milestone hit for him. To pass Johnny Bench in hits, that's a big one. Um, I mean, you, you think about certain catchers you want to you want to pass. Johnny Bench is the guy. <laughs> the, the one. So this is a big one if he gets it tonight. So he's tied with Johnny Bench. Yeah, every time that he comes up the last – Handful of days. I've been thinking about that. Wayno is just about every night that he pitches, he, he's got something that's coming up. Um, you think, you know, Wayno right now is recently it was like Bob Forsh in terms of Cardinal wins, I think it was. And I think it was like 1,200 strikeouts or something like that at home. Mm-hmm. Every time there's something unique with him. Um, so you don't want to screw those up. You'd like to at least make sure you have it. Because the other thing, too, with television and doing features, those are always going to be interspersed and they live on forever. But when you have a big call like Yachty's last year, definitely 2,000 hits. And that, to me, was like in a putting this in a good way. That was the final nail in the coffin for his Hall of Fame resume. He's done everything defensively, and especially when everybody looks at him as being a defensive catcher. But you get 2,000 hits as a catcher. That's a whole hell of a, of a lot of hits, and not many have 2,000. If you look at the – there's only 19 catchers in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. 19. And so – and he's going. He will make it to the Hall of Fame. But now the national narrative, I think, changes when you look at all the defensive metrics and all the things we can quantify, but then 2,000 hits, that's a big one. Yeah. And that'll be when we're giving him his red jacket, you're going to hear that call. I also think about that. I think about some of the times that I'm on that stage and you hear some of the guys that go in. That means something to me. And the other thing I think about a lot was, and this is very important to me, and it was very important to me last year, even with no fans, we had all the major league debuts. And uh, a major league debut is very important to me because mom, dad, aunt, uncle, brother, sister, cousin, I don't care who it is, coaches, all the little league friends, coaches, all those people that put so much and invested so much into that young man along the way to get him to that moment. And it's a moment that will live on forever in their family. Generations of their family are going to watch that moment. And I I thought it was so cool last year. I've talked to Jeff Carlson, uh, Dylan's dad. Like their whole family was gathered around the TV and they had their camera phones out watching the television. And I'm hearing my call. And I know it's not about me, but I don't want to screw it up. I want to make it a neat moment for their family. Uh, Nabil Chrismat, his dad had it on wherever he was watching. I I don't know where, Mexico maybe, or wherever he's from. I can't remember. I shouldn't remember that. But those are, that's a neat moment. And that's something as a parent, and I got four kids, 
I, I, it just it would live on forever, and they're going to be able to play that for their kids and their grandkids, and then so on and so forth. So, I, I do take into account that even though it's not a milestone moment in terms of historical, in their family, man, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. I'm curious. There you have it, the TV voice of your St. Louis Cardinals, Dan McLaughlin. I've told Dan this before, but I really think that he is a, a generational kind of touch point for Cardinal fans. So many fans are used to him being the voice that they hear as the game has moved more and more to television. Radio, of course, will forever and always have a special place, and we have a phenomenal radio booth here in St. Louis. But uh, a lot of fans growing up with the cable cable bubble and the way that it was exploding in the, the late 80s into the 90s, early 2000s are so used to games on television, and Dan has been at the forefront of that for really the entire growth of, of the games through those regional sports networks, Fox Sports Midwest, and now Valley Sports Midwest. And uh, he is just a special guy, both in the booth, the way that he doesn't miss a moment, and out of it, too. He has got a great heart, loves St. Louis, loves this community, born and raised here, and really does a lot of things behind the scenes that you might not know about, and I think that's by design on his part, but really does a lot to care for young people, uh, especially here in St. Louis, and just to try to grow the game and be a good guy and look out for his fellow human beings. So can't say enough good things about Dan McLaughlin and how proud I am to, uh, to have him be one of the voices of the St. Louis Cardinals. Hope that you enjoyed Dan in this Flashback Friday. If I were you... I would head over to cardinals.com slash museum, and about halfway down the page in the middle, there's a big old, you can't miss it, big old thumbnail that says Flashback Friday, and below it, you can view the schedule. You can expand it by hitting a little plus sign. It is loaded for 2021. I mean, the back half of this summer, there are some big names. Some of them are jump off the page, household names. Some of them are a little bit more of a deep cut, guys that maybe didn't play here forever, but just had a kind of a cult following thing or have a really interesting story. But you can sit down about, uh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 feet from them in the Sportsman's Park Amphitheater inside the Cardinals Museum and hear them tell stories just like Dan told the Brian. And here's the best part. It's free with admission to the Cardinals Museum. So you roll in, you buy the ticket to the museum, and then you get this up-close-and-personal experience with a Cardinals alumni or a Cardinals personality, and it's at no extra cost. I mean, I can't, honestly, I can't believe more people don't take advantage. They get some good crowds over there, but uh, if, if I were a fan looking for a unique experience, I would be all over it at cardinals.com slash museum so be sure to check out that schedule we appreciate you listening hope that you've enjoyed uh, everything we've done in this episode and the past episodes as well you can check out old stuff on your feed we're always trying to to get some new ideas and get some new things going too so you can give us some feedback podcast with an s at cardinals.com that's it for today thanks to brian and dan i'm brett mcmillan we'll catch you next time on the cardinals insider podcast Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.